0: Hey everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we talk about your 19 and 45 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Kid Week, what we would do differently if we were the Terminator version of Troy Weaver, and we look around the league at matchups between tanking teams. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys, that's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben?
1: Laz, I'm doing pretty good, man. We got the kids this week, like we've been waiting for. For how many months now? So, yeah, it was pretty fun. I liked it. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Um, it's I was like looking at my... Uh, I was looking at the file names I have for these these podcasts um, earlier when I was like setting up everything pre show, and we're not normally recording in May because like normally in May the playoffs are happening. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh yeah, this is it's nice to be uh, this this late in the year and still having Pistons basketball to talk about, even if it's not you know like playoff Pistons basketball. <laughs> But yeah, like you said, it was it's the it was the week of the kids. Uh, we saw the kids mostly against Atlanta, not uh, by the injury list, but by the result, which was a win, which people were very mad about. But we'll get to that not being a bad thing later. Um, and then we saw the kids mostly against Dallas and Charlotte later in the week. Um, has it been worth it so far, Ben? Has it has it made for an enjo- more enjoyable uh, viewing experience?
1: Well, at a minimum, it is just infinitely more interesting to me to watch the young guys versus, you know, the Corey Joseph, Wayne Ellington backcourts. No offense to those guys, but it's definitely much more interesting. And look, you know, this is something I really have been wanting to see more of since the beginning of the season. And honestly, like, this is definitely true about the Mavs game. It was a little, maybe less so about the, the Hornets game, but it was kind of like a perfect tanking game, right? Like the kids got a ton of play. They battled and fought really all game long. They were never really out of it against the Mavs. And then look, like the last two minutes was actually sort of valuable crunch time sort of experience. And like, you know, there are a few free throws away and a few turnovers away uh, from really winning a pretty hard fought contested game. So let's see this formula for the rest of the season. You know, we can shut the vets down. This yeah, this was a lot of fun and I think valuable experience as well.
0: Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. Um, I, I think it was it was interesting to see the kids close out the game against the Hawks, just because it was interesting to see how they handled having such a large lead, right? Um, oh, yeah, we had, yeah, for sure. We hadn't seen, you know, um, that level of, like, you know, sustained success. And even if it was, like, a lot of it was due, due to the fact that, like, Atlanta had everybody on their team out. It was still, you know, like, nice to see, uh, especially at home. Um, but yeah, like the Mavericks game was great. The Hornets game was, uh, less great, but they made that comeback and you had, uh, you had, you know, Killian and Sadiq and, uh, Stewart playing better in the fourth quarter than they did in the first half. And then, you know, Killian had some interesting post game quotes about how, um, how they got their, like, you know, collective minds, right together in the second half and and persevered in that way and tried to make a comeback. And so I think it's, I think it's definitely good. Um, It's definitely more interesting, definitely more entertaining. And I'm right with you. I hope we see more of it as the year comes to a close. There's no reason to play uh, some dudes on the team. We'll get to some guys who should play later, but not, not much. But the first guy I wanted to talk about in particular was Isaiah Stewart. And, I wanted to talk about him in particular because I want to talk about one thing that he was really doing against Dallas that I was hoping to see more out of him this year. And that's shooting threes. I loved the, the pick and pop partnership that he had with Killian down the stretch of that game. Um, he had, you know, Dwight Powell and Boban Marjanovic out there, not really wanting to come out there and guard him. And he was firing away and, and making those shots scored a career high 20 points, uh, against the Mavericks. Um, and then in the Charlotte game, right, he he got into foul trouble, got a little bit out of rhythm. But like I pointed out, um, you know, the fact that he was so out of uh, sync against Charlotte, uh, and we were all kind of surprised by that, just goes how goes to show like how far he's come in such a short time as a rookie big man that we don't expect him to be out of sync as a nineteen year old. Um, but to, to take it back to the Dallas game, Ben, uh, how many how many threes would you like to see Isaiah Stewart take per game the rest of the season?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I love the idea of a quota, but I love the idea that this is a legitimate threat. And it's not just threes, right? Like, he's a pick-and-pop guy from 15 feet all the way out to the three-point line, right? And mm-hmm. that's a fantastic weapon, especially as he and Killian get more minutes together. But he's also becoming a little bit dangerous in the pick-and-roll with Killian as well, right? So you've got in, in the one center position like this one guy you've got potentially both threats right so that makes for a much more versatile pick and roll attack which I think is super interesting you know philosophically it's the balance between he's a fantastic offensive rebounder and I think if if I remember right against the Mavs he was two of five from three plus he had three offensive boards so he kind of did both of those things which is pretty impressive I think Um, but yeah so it's kind of that balance do you want to? Uh, philosophically, put his skills to work on the offensive glass, or do you want him floating around in the the three point line? And I think they'll probably end up doing both because he can. He scored in the post a little bit this week. He scored finishing in the pick and roll, and he finished from um, you know 17 feet out. Really, I guess is is kind of where he finished this week. So yeah, I mean, I love the idea of him taking assuming he's playing 24, 28 minutes a night, taking at least a couple threes. And then, you know, against the Mavs, I, two for five felt totally appropriate because they were completely in rhythm, right? Like that they were they were good, open looks and he was knocking them down. So, um, you know, I don't know if I've got a quota, but I love the fact that his versatility is shining through so early in his career.
0: Yeah, I was I was thinking less of a quota and more of like a, well, I guess I was thinking a quota just because... In in the Mavs game, he did go two for five, but we haven't seen him be willing to take those threes every night. And I feel like that that balance that you talked about is going to be a very important part of what makes him special in the future. But I feel like I haven't seen that three-point emphasis enough at all times this year. So that's that's why I'm kind of like, you know, a, a low quota, but a quota nonetheless of like to a game
1: yeah shoot the ball I mean if he's playing 24 28 minutes a night shoot the ball you know he's gonna he's gonna get open looks he might as well shoot him
0: exactly and like uh and that like you said that the the evenness opens up both halves of it and I think um that like that's gonna make other guys on the floor better just because um it it, it opens up lanes for everybody else when your center is a spacing threat. I'm thinking of like Killian in particular. Actually, let's just, let's just move to Killian. So Killian had a weird week. Um, he had 11 assists and two points against the Mavericks, which is like quintessential Killian game at this point. Um, and then he had a very interesting, um, again, like two halves of basketball against the Hornets. Um, I, you know, a lot of people were super psyched up for the uh, Killian LaMelo matchup. Um, they had comparable, comparable, statistical outputs but lamello did his thing in a much more in in like his lamello way right like he did his thing in like a much more uh highlight worthy way what, what did you think of that matchup then
1: yeah i think you summed that up pretty well i think um, killian obviously looked much better later in the game mm-hmm. um you know i don't know maybe he psyched himself out a little bit but he he definitely wasn't sharp in the first half But they're kind of similar point guard archetypes, right? They're not score first point guards. They do a little bit of everything. They rebound, they pass, and they score when they need to. Um, The matchup, I think, ended up being a little bit underwhelming, honestly. Um, You know, they weren't the stars of the show for either team. But, yeah, I mean, I think LaMelo is obviously, you know, the more complete player right now. He's a better player right now. But he's also got some more interesting players to pass to, I think, which helps some of those highlight reel clips, as you talked about. And Miles Bridges was a monster, uh, in that game, um, as a, for example, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't look like, you know, like two superstar point guards matching up. It looked like two rookie looked point like, guards who are still very much figuring it out matching yeah. up. I think.
0: Yeah. Two, two 19 year olds playing against right. one <laughs> another. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they are going to get compared to each other because they're part of the same draft class for a very long time, but they're, uh, and they're similar players because, again, like you said, they're they're both tall playmakers. They're both young. They're both exciting with the ball in their hands. But they're also kind of different players, right? Lamelo um, really loves to like race up and down and and get the ball out in transition and make plays that way. He's got the he's got the highlight out, outlet passes that we've seen. Um, and Killian's a lot more deliberate, and it's. Like, I don't. I don't want to say that like neither one of those guys can do the other thing because like we've seen Killian throw some like highlight outlet passes and we've seen Lamelo like dissect teams in the half court. Um, and that that's not. I'm not trying, trying to say like either one of those guys can't do anything. I'm just saying like you know, given their preference, Killian would rather just you know hit the corner shooter uh, for three and the and for with like a left handed whip pass, and Lamelo would like to throw like a sixty foot. Outlet pass for a layup, right? It's just, it's just two very different, two different styles of, of point guard play. Um, I think that they both like have their own merit. Um, is is interesting to me too because like Lamelo had the really nice like first half, uh, and then Killian had the really nice second half. But the, but Killian's nice second half kind of got overshadowed by the fact that Pistons still lost by like thirteen points. Yeah. So it was like, eh, you, you it, uh, it didn't necessarily translate to winning. And again, like the Hornets do have a better team, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to watch those two guys go up against one another. I think the the other thing is, you know, Killian was much better defensively than La, than LaMelo was, especially down the stretch. We had, uh, you know, the the Isaiah Stewart block on LaMelo, yeah. you know, Killian was on him the entire way um, Killian, you know, shut down Brad Wanamaker on a couple possessions. Like it's, it's Brad Wanamaker. It's so, like, I'm not going crazy, but like, that that was good to see, and I think that's one pretty big advantage we're gonna see from Killian uh, as those two guys like continue their career. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. It's like that's that's the type of matchup I've been like waiting to see uh, how he performs, and it did seem like Killian was like hyped up for it as well. Uh, maybe a little too hyped up, especially in the first half. But you could tell between like between this game and the Kings game uh, with Halliburton. It seems like Killian really wants to make his mark against some of the other guys he was compared to in the draft, and you know drafted you know above or below in, in the case of you know Lamelo or, or Tyrese Halliburton. Did you did you get that sense at all, Ben? That he was like psyched up for the matchup?
1: Well, to me, it kind of looked like that in the first half. Like it looked like maybe he got a little bit overwhelmed, and it, for just a few moments, it looked like the game was a little bit too big for him. And I think you know after halftime, I, you know, who knows what you know, Casey said, all oh, at the half, but he certainly closed the, and I think even in the fourth quarter, right, when they made the, the run to close the gap, um, you know, Stewart missed. I think they were obviously at their best when Isaiah was out there with Killian. And so when Stewart got re-engaged in the second half, wasn't in foul trouble, he looked so much more comfortable. So, I mean, you have to think, like, if I were a 19-year-old kid in his situation, that's what I'd be thinking about, right? I think most people would, and I think it's completely understandable.
0: No, absolutely, absolutely. All right, Ben. Uh, Sadiq Bay made history this week. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, Sadiq Bay passed Stephen Curry uh, for the all-time rookie record for most games uh, with five or more made three-pointers. He has ten now. Uh, I believe, like the game against Charlotte, he was five for twelve. That was his tenth game. Um, Anytime you pass Steph Curry for something, you're doing something pretty good, aren't you, Ben?
1: Yeah, you got to love the NBA trivia in today's age. right? It's like artificial intelligence linking up, figuring out like all these random stats in the month of February with you know two white colored socks and you know three teammates hurt. City <laughs> Bay is <the> time leading <laughs> Pistons three point maker. Or something like you know you got to love it, but for sure, I mean, Sadiq's had a fantastic season. Um, in, in all seriousness, and yeah, he he's. Shoots the ball better than I thought, and if you can, if you can put your name in the same sentence as Steph Curry, like you, you take it. it no matter how random the stat is, you take it, and you're proud of it.
0: Yeah, I think part like people are going to say like part of this is like oh, just because he so he played a lot his rookie year, but even so, like we've we've seen lots of rookies have a lot of minutes without that necessarily like meaning they're contr- a contributing to uh, like contributing on their time on the floor and like b you know, being productive uh, for, like, in the, in the stat sheet. And so, like, yeah, this is this has just been a really, really solid year for Sadiq Bey. I, I'm not surprised he's not getting, like, more Rookie of the Year consideration. Again, like, because LaMelo's back and because you have, like, Anthony Edwards scoring, like, 20 points a night in the second half of the year. And, and you had, like, Tyrese Halliburton start the year really strong. So, like, there, there are, you know, other worthy candidates for uh, Rookie of the Year. But I am a little surprised that we don't see more uh, of that kind of love headed in Steak Bay's direction. But he's been, you know, just really, really good for the Pistons this year, and I think that should absolutely count for something.
1: Yeah, and Steph Curry played 36 spins a game as a rookie, just throwing that out there. <laughs> I, did,
0: did he really? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I just looked it up. I mean, the second, second, third most minutes per game of his career was his rookie season,
0: Interesting. That you know. is. That is wild. See, I yeah. seem to remember Steph's rookie year. They were in like a, it was like him and like AC Law the fourth in a dogfight for for point guard minutes. I remember that being a frustration of Warrior fans. But that that is crazy. Yeah, Sadiq Bey is not playing 36 minutes a night. I'm going to wager. But yeah, that's that's pretty fun. All right. Uh, who's the next guy? Oh, Seku. Seku is the next guy I wanted to talk about. We've talked a lot about Seku been on this year on the podcast but not recently because he hasn't been playing but this week he did play and he played consistently not terrible so (laughs) i i've been surprised by how not terrible seku has looked do you think this is just like a run at the end of the season like we've seen from you know other previous uh pistons players who are just like hey like with you know with You know, 10 games left in the season. I'm just going to go out and do my thing. And it doesn't actually mean anything. I'm I'm thinking of, you know, I'm thinking of the, like, the the Brandon Knight explosion we were getting last, down the stretch of last year, right? Where it's like, this doesn't really mean much, but I'm glad Brandon Knight's scoring all these points. Or do you think this is like something that Seiku is actually building that could be sustainable?
1: You know, man, I think I completely blacked out Brandon Knight's performance at the end (laughs) of the season i wow that shocked me to hear you say that i i'm pretty sure like that's that's a psychological adaptation to brandon knight's second run as a detroit piston i'm not ready to talk it up to anything just yet what i will say is i am all for giving young developing players very clear and consistent communication about what their role will be and then following through on that. And it doesn't have to stay the same for 72 or 82 games, right? No matter how long the season is, it can change over time. But to me, you know, I would say looking at what he did this week, it's I think reasonable to assume based on what we've heard in press conferences that they've communicated to say, you're going to you're going to close the season with a more consistent role and more consistent minutes. And I think that takes pressure off of him, right? He doesn't have to worry about when the hook has come in to yank him off for making a mistake. And so he's able to play through some of those mistakes, right? Like, I mean, he can shoot an air ball or shoot one off the, only hit the, the square of the backboard from deep like he did this week. Yep. But then follow that up with some you know, really good movement without the ball. I've been critical of Seiko for just kind of standing around at times. And I felt like this week, offensively, he was very active and engaged in moving without the ball and being part of the system. So I think that's, that's huge for him to see him do that. I do think there's also some benefit to him playing one with Killian and then one A – with a pass-first point guard, right? So I think in particular Killian, because they obviously have a relationship and chemistry and familiarity there, but then also Killian is the type of point guard who is good for Sekou's game, whereas most of the point guard minutes we've seen are, are more pass-first, or more score-first, uh, with the exception of, of Sabin Lee. So so yeah, I mean, he you know, he obviously made some silly plays. He wasn't great, but I think it was a step in the right direction. And I think... You know, one of the things I've said about saker that I haven't loved about this season is it's hard for me to point to any area of his game where he really took a step forward from a season ago. And I will say that for this week, the thing that jumped out to me was just really being engaged in the five-man offense, moving without the ball. And then I think a lot of those cuts to the rim were, are, were at particularly opportune times. So it spoke well to basketball IQ and court vision and understanding what you're Your role and function is uh, within the office so so yeah i mean i'll take that i'm I'm happy about that for seku
0: yeah i i I was going to mention the the killian thing as well um you put it you know better than than i could have actually and the only other thing i will say is that i think like when when killian hits seku for a pass and a cut and and they get something off of that it seems that it seems like that kind of like jogs the memory of everybody else on the court. Seku mm-hmm. included being like, Oh yeah, he can do that. It's like, we have to, it was like, if he does his baseline cuts, we have to like, look for that and feed him. Um, you know, Josh Jackson hit Seku in a baseline cut, I think against Dallas. And I was like shocked by that because Josh doesn't pass to anyone, but also <laughs> like he, he saw him, right. He had his head up and he was, he was anticipating, uh, Sekou, like making that, that read. And, um, and so like, yeah, he was definitely Seku is engaging himself within the five man offense, but that also him, you know, making that effort also, I think, uh, reminds his teammates of his availability uh, in a way that um, he hasn't always done. The, the other thing I will say is that I was really impressed with his effort and intensity defensively in the Hawks game in particular. He was really good, really engaged on that end uh, in that game. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case uh you know every single game this week uh, he got roasted a couple times on closeouts and against Charlotte in particular but that and that's to be expected right like that that's the ups and downs but i do also think like he's been just better than usual on on defense as well and so that 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 has me more encouraged um than the offensive output um if if like if nothing else if Seku can just be and active and disruptive on-ball defender, um, like that will, like that'll uh, make him a like relatively successful NBA player, um, and like that that'll be good. And so like yeah, I'm I'm glad I, I like I miss Jeremy Grant a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, but I'm glad I'm glad we get to see Seku uh, do um, some of what like makes him special uh, this week. All right, Ben. Uh, now it's like we're going to do the segments. Now we're going we're gonna to switch gears. We're going to stop talking about players. We're going to start doing some segments. And so um, the first segment this week is coming to us from Kuka Hill. Shout out Kuka, new host of Locked on Pistons, uh, the other Pistons podcast you should be listening to. Um, he's been really frustrated about some of the lineups that the Pistons have run out you know, with the kids, like during this time period, he's, you know, as you think about the, those like Sabin Lee, how Diallo Tyler cook, Julio Okafor lineups where like (laughs) nobody can shoot and nothing's happening. It's like, that's really frustrated him. And I, I'm very sympathetic to that. Right. Like I, I've also seen how ugly those lineups can get, but I wanted to go a little bit in the opposite direction, Ben, and ask you what, what kind of lineups, what kind of five man combinations do you want to see as we like wind down this season?
1: So I'm I'm just going to give one because this lineup has been on my mind for several weeks now, since Killian got back from injury. I'd really like to see Killian, Sadiq, Jeremy Grant, and Isaiah Stewart. And then at shooting guard, I think you could go with one of three players. You could go to Frank Jackson. You could go to Josh Jackson, uh, or you could go to Hamadou Diallo, depending on what, you know, what, are you trying to score? Are you trying to defend? Like, you know, what what are you trying to do? So that lineup to me, and the four guys who are really important are the Killian, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq, and Isaiah Stewart. Because I see f- those four guys as probably being, you know, pretty important to the the Pistons core at least as of right now. Or like, I can envision those four guys being Pistons uh, for the next several seasons. I think if you throw Frank Jackson in there, you're obviously you're looking for shooting and scoring, right? Because you're going to have Killian with four shooters, and mm-hmm. if you go to Josh Jackson or Hamadou Diallo, you're looking for uh, maybe a little more defense um, and a little more slashing, right? Because um, Frank doesn't necessarily he gets he he dribbles a bit, but he's, he's really more of a shooter and scorer. So that that fundamental like four man group is something that I'd really like to see. And look, I'm for shutting shutting Jeremy Grant down to a degree but I'd like to see a couple games um, with him and Killian in particular getting some run
0: yeah you you that's something that you brought up in in previous weeks and it's something that like is kind of noticeable that it has been missing during this time period like where we're seeing more of the kids because you know if all goes well Killian's gonna start next year Sadiq is gonna start next year and you would like to see how Killian in particular like plays off of jeremy grant and you'd like to see them you know build their chemistry a little bit um in in that same vein i was thinking about a lineup of like i think the kid i think the quote-unquote like best pistons lineup might actually be like killian frank jackson sadiq bay jeremy grant and mason plumley um not necessarily because plumley is better than isaiah stewart uh but because um he's He's got that that vertical threat that Stewart has, uh, you know, shown flashes of doing a better job of. But like Plumlee's probably better at that right now in his career. But I feel like that's the that's the lineup that gets like Dwayne Casey the most excited because he's able to like you know mix some of the vets and the young guys together. Um, it's good for the tank. Mason Plumlee has stopped giving a crap on defense, and so uh, <laughs> it's 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 good for the tank. Um, and it, it preserves some of that uh, some of that vision that you have again of like Jeremy Grant and Killian Hayes playing together with spacing with shooting um, the ability to put the ball in Killian's hands and, and just have him like you know diagnose what's going on with the defense that is that's the lineup I'm curious in and I gotta say I I like when I was like I, I didn't know like hey I'm gonna ask Ben this question with like ten games left or whatever but like if you had told me at the beginning of the year like hey Laz like, you're going to want to put Frank Jackson in a crunch time lineup. i this- would <laughs> right. be like, are you sure, man? But, like, that that's the way this year has gone, man. Frank's been really good. Uh, next next segment I had was uh, another – I'm stealing from another Pistons podcast, uh, the Bun and Cardigan show. Uh, Nicholas Henkel asked James Edwards this question, and I thought it was a really good question, so I'm just going to steal it and ask it to you, Ben. If you're if you're you know the the May 2020 version of Troy Weaver and you have like a little time machine, you can go back and talk to the December 2020 version of Troy Weaver. Like, what what would you what would you do differently? What would you tell your past self um, to do differently to make this year like go even better for the Pistons?
1: Man, that's a hard question because I think they've had given the, given the roster they assembled, it's hard for me to point. Anywhere and say, oh yeah, that that really has not worked out well, right? Like all of the acquisitions have performed, I would say at expectations or better than expectations. Even though the team is terrible, like they have a bad record, mm-hmm. um, they've done they've done a really fantastic job in terms of internal development and and putting things together. The you know the only thing I would say to be critical of Troy Weaver is I don't love their cap profile going into next season. I don't, I don't think it's going to matter a whole lot because I don't think they're in the position where, you know, whether they can add one mid-level exception guy next year, or they can add one $20 million guy to me, that doesn't make or break anything for next season, right? They're still going to be very much focused on internal development. Um, But I think, you know, like don't, don't stretch Dwayne Dedman. <laughs> I think like that, that was kind of silly. Like don't do that. But like, think about it. Like Frank Jackson has been a total, a total knockout out of the park All you know, all, all four draft picks, right? Like all four of them have had success with, you know, the exception of Killian's injury, which really set his timetable back. Jeremy Grant has developed into a, an incredibly versatile scorer, right? The, the vets, like the Mason Plumlee, that was the contract I liked the least going into this season. But, you know, after a couple months, it sort of sort of started to make some sense why you'd want a, a veteran big who can finish in the pick and roll to pair with Killian Hayes, right, which hopefully we'll get to see more of uh, next season for sure. So I would say really, yeah, like don't put yourself in handcuffs if you don't need to. Don't stretch Deadman, you know. like Otherwise, I feel like he's very creative and, and done a really good job uh, he didn't overcommit right like nobody's on any big huge long term deals um yeah i i, f- I feel like he did uh, i think the outcome of everything has has been very solid
0: yeah i i think it is a definitely a tribute to Troy Weaver that there's nothing like major glaring big flashing red light that says like hey like fix me right it, it's really great that there's no uh like incalculably large mistakes that you can point to in his first year as a GM there are some small things I would change right um, I, I don't remember I, th- I think we I, we either heard this from uh, James Edwards on the podcast or he reported it or somewhere in there but uh, like the the four second round picks that the Pistons traded uh, with Luke Kennard to the Clippers for the pick that became Sadiq Bay was like part of a penalty for not getting the cap stuff exactly right or something and so I would you know just tell them to you know if I was you know the past version of Troy Weaver like don't screw up the cap thing that makes us throw in like two extra second round picks it's like because we could probably use those later and then um it's like don't play Killian against Milwaukee in December right? <laughs> it's like just uh, maybe maybe don't maybe be less aggressive with starting him right away and, and see how that goes but But yeah, it's it is like those are the only two like small things I can really think of, and one of them is an injury, which like he has zero control over, and so it's like it's it's been it's been a great first year for Troy Weaver, all things considered, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the the next offseason when you know fourteen of these guys are quote unquote his guys, and he doesn't have to spend an offseason bringing his guys. Uh, in, I'll be curious to see how that how that plays out.
1: Yeah, like as much as I didn't like the Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown trades at the time, I don't. I, I think I'm very comfortable not paying Luke Kennard what he's getting from the Clippers, especially given that I don't think he's had the season they wanted him to have in mm-hmm. LA. Um, but like as you as you reminded me, the four second round picks, like I would trade four second round picks for Sadiq Bay every day of the week, right? Like it's just, he's been, he's been so solid, like for, for Troy to cash in on that in such an effective way. I think also like to turn the question around in the other direction, like what mistake would you want him to avoid making in the next one to two seasons? It would be, you know, let's say you're right. And he's got his 14 or 15 guys, right? Like a year from now, I, I want to make sure he doesn't make the mistake of getting Overcommitted to a guy because it's one of his guys, even though that guy didn't pan out. Right. So like um, maybe Hamadou Diallo is, is the first crack at this. Like he's got to get that contract. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. In,
1: in my opinion. Right. And we talked about Hami a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what some of his limitations are and, and that kind of thing. So I don't get the sense that he's going to be overly sentimental based on the way that he turned over the, the entire roster essentially in a week. Um but moving forward that might be something I, I'd want to tell him if I could whisper in his ear.
0: Yeah, the that's a the 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 future question, like, you know, what what would you tell future Troy Weaver not to do? I think the, the thing that I've been thinking about has been um kind of eating at me not eating at me, but the thing I've been like thinking about is uh, you know, we we've been approving of the Mason Plumley contract, um, especially because, you know, Uh, The money is not as bad as we thought. And he started this year and he played so many games and he was very effective this year. Um, I would say, you know, with the growth of Isaiah Stewart right away, I would probably like trade that contract sooner rather than later, just because you don't. You you don't really know like what's going to happen in the next two years with Mason Plumlee, Correct. and you all and you want to dedicate as much you know playing time and, and growth potential as possible to Isaiah Stewart, um, and so it's like yeah you you know don't don't be afraid to to put Mason in a trade if you think it's going to be beneficial for the team.
1: Well, and especially because you like Mason played at a level this year where you could see him having value to you know like you could see him coming off the bench for a number of playoff teams, right? Like he's he's played at a level that someone would want him it wouldn't just be dumping a contract
0: yeah teams inquired about him right at the trade deadline right like he has interest and so like don't don't be you know don't be so attached to mason Plumley that you don't put him in a trade for some more future seconds or or you know the the 28th pick in the 2023 draft or something like that for sure yeah okay uh next segment is your favorite segment ben it's the (laughs) tank race so the, to, to track what happened this week, the Pistons went one and two, they beat the Hawks. That was, that's not bad for the tank. Uh, Minnesota uh, won, I believe they won three games this week, three out of their four games this week. They have overtaken the Pistons in the win column and now I believe have the fourth best lottery odds. Um, Orlando won two games this week. Hey, look at that. Great job, Orlando Magic. They beat the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers in one of the ugliest games I've witnessed. Uh, on my television screen in a very long time. And they beat Memphis uh, Saturday night on a buzzer beater. So the Magic are currently also, I believe, above the Pistons in the standings. They have the third best lottery odds, leaving Detroit with the second best lottery odds. And then there's Houston at the bottom. You're not going to catch Houston. Houston looks really bad. Um, And the Thunder. The Thunder won a game. I know we were very concerned about that. They looked like they might end the year. On a 25-game winning streak, uh, they beat the Boston Celtics. Still don't know how that happened, but they, they beat the Boston Celtics. Um, uh, and so the other thing I wanted to point out was any uh, chances this week for like win-win games, games where you know the Pistons win in, in the lottery standings regardless of the outcome. Um, you know, obviously the Pistons play the Magic. It would help. It'd be helpful to lose that game from a lottery perspective, but that's not a win-win game. The magic do play the Timberwolves a week from today. So that will be a a win-win game, whichever team is uh, lower in the standings. You want to win. I think, yeah, I think that's what I meant to say. And, uh, and men, it's not really that good looking for our pistons, right? There's not a lot of teams. uh, There's not a lot of games uh, with the, you know low tier teams in the league playing each other the closest i got was the thunder and the kings the kings i believe are like the uh ninth eighth or ninth best uh lottery odds right now and they the thunder and the kings play each other three times between wow. now and the end of the season and so hopefully that's a chance for the thunder to win some games uh and put their lottery odds in a more uh, even place like relative to where they would have been had they decided not to play all their guys um so yeah then you know ending the week with the second best lottery odds despite winning winning a game that the pistons like weren't projected to win like that that feels pretty good right
1: yeah it feels great i was worried a week ago i feel like i was a little bit worried maybe it was two weeks ago all the Sundays kind of blur together in, in 2021. But yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. And and it was a good week for the tank. And I had fun watching the team this, this week. So it was, a, it was definitely a win-win from that perspective.
0: No, absolutely. All right. The Pistons annoying thing that is annoying me this week. It's a very, it's a very minor thing this week. I think reflective of the entertainment value of the games we watched. It's a very minor thing. But uh, I don't love these Sadiq Bey uh, at power forward lineups with or without Jeremy Grant, like on the team or uh, in the game. Sorry. Uh, I don't think that's like Sadiq's NBA destiny. Uh, and between Tyler Cook, Seku, uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart at the four, you know, Jaleel Okafor, Isaiah Stewart lineups. I, I don't think you you have to play Sadiq at the uh, at the power forward spot as much as Dwayne Casey um has over the last week or so i mean heck like you can play davidus Servitus at the four at this point he looks solid enough to be you know a a tall wing that you that you throw out there at the at the four um without like a real problem so like yeah that's that's it like that's not the, that's not the biggest concern in the world but uh that that was the thing that was annoying me this week what you think of that ben
1: i think that's yeah I, I wasn't too too peeved about anything this week i will say to, to make a real reach here. I don't like how much I like Frank Jackson's hair. It is absolutely <laughs> amazing. And I don't like how much better his hair is than mine right now because I've I, I took a picture, I'm gonna post it later. His hair and my hair are his is just about twice as long as mine. That's the only differential. If I can find a headband I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on and get a nice picture of the, of the Benfro blowing in the breeze. But yeah, Frank Jackson that That hair is fantastic,
0: man. Don't cut it. so okay if so if we were to perhaps you know, over the course of time double the amount of hair you had somehow, <laughs> do you think that would result in an improvement in your game like it has for Frank Jackson?
1: <laughs> I mean, the only thing that's gonna improve my game right now is a time machine, my friend. it is <laughs> I am uh, I have aged like milk in that respect.
0: <laughs> uh, you're being too harsh on yourself. I could
1: still man. play, I, you know, I could probably still play a mean game of horse. You give me a week in the gym to get the jump shot back, and I could probably still be all
0: right, but that's about it. Uh, all right, Ben. The uh, Pistons play the Magic on Monday. Again, that is a, a must lose game for the Pistons. We're all very aware of that. Uh, they play the Hornets again on Tuesday, the second game of a back to back. Be real curious to see uh, what the rosters look like for that game. Uh, they play the Grizzlies on Thursday. Uh, Memphis still fighting for playoff seating in the Western Conference. Uh, that should be a, a relatively like normal game for Memphis. Memphis did just lose to Orlando though. So uh, anything is possible. And then the Pistons play the 76ers in Philadelphia on Saturday. That is their last road game of the season. I believe they closed the season with four straight home games after that. And then they play the Bulls on Sunday uh, at home bulls a week from today bulls are also like kind of out of the play-in i think there's they still would like to be in the play-in but um they're not they're like three games back and zach levine hasn't returned to the lineup yet he should be back i believe by this sunday but uh so they still should like have zach levine against the pistons but i don't know if if it doesn't look good for them from a playoff perspective um i don't know like how much basketball he's gonna be playing honestly uh, on sunday And so, like, yeah, what do do you think this week looks like for the tank, Ben?
1: Yeah, I'm a little worried about the Philly game. I think it's possible they might rest some guys, so we'll have to keep an eye on that one. I'm a little worried about the Chicago game, and you just covered the reasons why. Um I would be worried about the Hornets game, and when I say worried, I mean worried about winning. <laughs> so let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're,
0: we're all on the same page. There. Okay.
1: Um, I would be worried about the Hornets game, except for the back-to-back situation, right? So, I mean, this team is going—they're going to win a game. They—they they manage to win a game somehow every week when the schedule doesn't look great for them. Um, I just don't know which one. I did see, however, um, I forget who who tweeted it out. But they tweeted the top five most difficult schedules and the top five easiest schedules, and Detroit was fourth on the list of easiest schedules, which kind of surprised me a little bit. I think that must have something to do with home court advantage somehow because, I don't know, it doesn't, eyeballing it, it doesn't look that easy to me. But I, I think they're going to win a game, and we'll be surprised who it is. Can't predict it ahead of time.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, this is what, one, two, three, four, five games. They're probably going to win one of these games. It just can't be the Magic game, and it should. And it you you would like it to not be the Bulls game. And that, you could handle that being the win, but you'd like it to to not be like if they if they could win that game against the Grizzlies somehow. Like, sure, I would absolutely take that. Um, my guess is that uh, the team will play the kids against the Magic, and then they'll bring out the vets on the back to back against the Hornets. Um, oh, the good Hornets call. are. Yeah. yeah, Hornets are still good enough to win, even if you play the vets. Um, the Hornets are still, you know, riding that that ten game winning streak or whatever they played in March you know, with the veterans and, and managed to lose the Hornets still. And so, like that, that is my prediction for this week. They they do all kids against Orlando, roll out like ten guys and try to lose that game, and then uh, play a, a real NBA game uh, against the Hornets. All right, Ben. That's a good episode, man. Let the, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find that picture of your, your glorious Frank Jackson Maine.
1: <laughs> I even figured out a way to turn it into like a GIF so you can see the wind blowing the, the Golden Locks. Oh, that's going to be base, glorious. Yeah. At Bigar Gulker on Twitter. You know what, Les? I think I might be interested in the Dallas Mavs. You want to know why? I got four why? reasons. Yeah. One, Tim Hardaway Jr., who actually torched the Pistons this week, right? Michigan alum. Then you've got his former Michigan teammate, Trey Burke, who had a resurrection of his career in the bubble, right? Then you've got my boy, Boban, who also got some minutes against the Piston and had like a flat footed dunk. And they've got Rick Carlisle, former Pistons connection there as well. They're an underdog, right? Like, will they even stay in the playoff picture? Time will tell about that. I think they probably will. They're up nine games over 500, now but i could see myself cheering for a team like dallas with all those connections being a playoff spoiler in the first round that might be kind of fun
0: yeah i I could see that uh they will be a lower seeded playoff team most likely and so you you feel better about rooting for them uh, in a series against like you know utah or, or phoenix Um, rather than like, uh, like, Hey, I'm going to root for, I'm going to root for the Lakers in the Denver Lakers series. Right. Like that, that feels a lot better, uh, from an underdog, like Detroit alignment perspective. So I, I get that. I respect that. You're, you're right, Ben. I need to pick my, uh, playoff team that I'm going to rationally root for. I haven't done that yet. I need to go back through the, uh, the list of teams in the Western conference and decide that that can be my, my homework for myself. This week,
1: yeah, it's going to be hard for me to pull against Phoenix, right? Because they are already sort of an underdog success story. So I will say it will be if it ends up being like the Dallas Phoenix matchup. I'll feel I'll have fun watching that series. I guess is the way I'll approach it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, As always, you can find me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I guess my my closing thing was: you guys know I am not a Lions fan. I am a reformed. Uh, Lions fan, I have embraced the uh, the I don't know, like the, the window of joy that not rooting for the Lions every Sunday like gives me. But I, I will say, I do still keep track of the team. If for no other reason then that's all my stepdad talks about and I need to talk about him. I need to talk about stuff with him. Um, but that said the, the Pride of Detroit crew uh, over at our, our sister site, the Lions site on SB Nation They did a, an amazing job of coverage from like every angle imaginable on the NFL draft this weekend. I was stunned by the, the, just the rapidity and the depth of their coverage. And so I know there's probably a big, I'm guessing there's a big like lions pistons cross section of the, of the listeners absolutely go check out them and what they did for the NFL draft. Please do that.
1: The lions draft. Well, I also take joy in not watching them anymore. Or did they have a good draft maybe maybe I'm i
0: sorry. don't i don't know they they didn't do what i would have done but i, mean, I don't watch football all that much so yeah. <laughs> i could be wrong <laughs> <laughs>
1: fair enough yeah uh
0: yeah so follow them on twitter uh, go to their website the pride of uh, detroit prideofdetroit.com go to our website detroitbadboys.com follow us on twitter at detroitbadboys thank you for listening to the detroit bad boys podcast And we will talk to you next week. See ya.